0: We're in Psalm 149, we're in Hallelujah, called to praise. And I'm just telling you, this has been really uh, impacting my life. And let me, I just want to share three ways. One, it's opening my eyes to the way the Psalms are interconnected to one another and how they're interconnected with God's big story. Literally, from Genesis, we've seen so much about creation. But all the way to Revelation, and we'll see that tonight, uh, today, this morning. Also, it's been increasing my own hallelujahs as I sing in congregational praise. I mean, I I, I I'm always amazed. And, and Todd, we know God has to be doing this because there's no way you'd be able to, you know, plot this out. I go up there, and what we just taught, we're singing it. We're singing it. Well, of course, that's because it's all gospel-centered, right? But, I mean, like, it's almost like exactly what we just talked about. I hope that's resonating to you. And if you're, if you're paying attention and you're participating in praise, you have to be seeing that. And it's got to be blessing you, okay? And we were at uh, the For the Church conference, and and I was just like, oh, man, that, oh, that's, oh, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And I hope you're seeing that, and it's raising your level of praise. And then it's just encouraging my heart, amen, to be thinking about the attributes of God, the greatness of His goodness, the greatness of His, of his graciousness, okay? The gloriousness of how He operates from high heaven down to the depths of the earth—it's just encouraging me, and I hope it is encouraging you. So here we are; we're at the 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 fourth next to last psalm. So go to that. Look at that next slide there, and uh, the celebration. So we're at the celebration. It's increasing. It's growing. And you can see there in your chart, the choice, the causes, the center, the celebration, okay? And we're, we're rising and we're getting, it's, 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 it's going to be exciting today. And then we're going to end with the ultimate praise in the last. Now, let me begin with this question. What do weddings and warfare have in common? What do weddings and warfare have in common? Okay, and yeah, Dana's already laughing. This is not the line of a joke, okay? It sounds like that. I mean, some people may say uh, weddings are when the celebrating ends and the conflict begins. You, You two would never say that, would you? No, 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 no. Some might say that planning a wedding... Is like preparing for war. Denise, you're doing that. Is that what it's like? I don't know. But in the Bible, weddings and warfare have a lot in common. In fact, the whole story of the Bible ends with a wedding and a war to end all wars. It ends with the celebration of a beautiful bride and the conquest by a bloody Bridegroom. You're going to see that today. It's in the end of the story. In fact, some people say you can summarize God's big story this way The king's son kills the dragon, gets the girl, and they live happily ever after. If you will read Revelation 19 through 20, you will see that, or 19 through 22, the end of the story is the king's son kills the dragon, gets the girl, and they live happily ever after. It's a wedding story set in the context of war. So Psalm 149 calls Yahweh's beautiful bride to celebrate her bloody bridegroom's conquest over the nations. So let's look at Psalm 149. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open them up because I want you to see it right here in your Bible. Psalm 149. Let's look at verses 1 through 9. It begins, as all these psalms do, the hallelujah doxology, praise the Lord, or literally, what is it? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise in the congregation of the godly ones or loyal lovers or saints Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name. There's the name of the Lord again with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Let the godly ones, there it is again, loyal lovers... Saints, godly ones, faithful ones, let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them... The judgment written. This is an honor for all his... There it is again. Godly ones. And how does it end? Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. Now, let me give you some orientation to this. Because I want you to see its connection to the other doxological Hallel psalm. So, first thing I want you to see is that Psalm 149 parallels Psalm 147. So, remember... There's this thing called a chiasm. So you start out and then it goes the choice to the causes and then the center is literally at the center. And then you move out to the celebration and then the consummation. But these are parallel as well. The choice is a wholehearted, lifelong commitment to praise the Lord until the final consummation of the kingdom. But these two parallel as well. In Psalm 147, we saw the great causes for praise. God's goodness, God's greatness, God's graciousness. But now in Psalm 149, we come to the ultimate cause for praise. Has come, become a reality, a wedding and a war to end all wars. So, up here, the causes were, were broad and... And it's God's greatness, God's goodness, and God's graciousness. Now we're down here to the specifics that has brought about a wedding celebration and a war conquest to end all war. So I want you to see there's a parallel there. Second thing I want you to see is Psalm 149 builds on Psalm 148. By really kicking it up a notch. And what do we do when we kick it up a notch? Bam! Bam. Yes, thank you, Randy. And uh, because Google or whoever, Big Brother, is always listening, uh, I, I'm, this past week I've gotten all these ads for Emerald Gossie on my phone. Now, is that, that's, just a, that's a nice thought, right? Really, kick it up a notch. Bam! Why? Because, listen, look at Psalm 149. Look at verse 1. Only in verse 1 are there really commands to praise. So we've been seeing these commands. The commands to praise are there in verse 149. Sing to the Lord a new song. That's it. His praise in the congregation. That's it. But notice what follows. Let them praise. Uh, Seven times in the New American Standard, they add the seventh one. Definitely six times. Let Israel be glad. Let the sons of Zion rejoice. Let them praise His name. Let them sing praises. Let the godly ones exalt. Let them sing for joy. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. They're kicking it up a notch. Bam! 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 Remember what we said about this? That let them is less than a command... It's more than a suggestion. Instead, it's like an invitation to say that something special, something significant has happened. Therefore, let it loose. Kick your praise up a notch and bam! Let out a hallelujah. Now, we saw last week that what had happened was the raising up of the king. Here, The special significant thing that is happening is the king has been raised, but now he's coming back to conquer. He's coming back to capture his bride. He's coming back to defend her and to defeat all of her enemies and his. It's the final consummation. That's a big deal. That calls for bigger praise. That means kick your praise up a notch. Because all of this is taking place. And so when you think about Psalm 148, which was the center, remember? All of heaven, all of earth, creation. Why? Because the Redeemer King has risen. That's really like Revelation 4 and 5. That's Revelation 4 and 5. In Revelation 4... We see praise for the Creator in Revelation 5. We see praise for the risen Lamb who was slain, Revelation 4 and 5, in heaven. Because something's about to happen. Well, when we come to Psalm 149, we move from Revelation 4 and 5, we move to Revelation 19, and what's about to happen is the King is coming back. And he's going to come with his bride. And there's going to be a wedding celebration. And a kingdom conquest. That's pretty cool. The king's son has finally come. To kill the dragon. And get his girl. Therefore we sing. Hallelujah. Third thing I want you to see. Is that Psalm 149. Picks up. Where Psalm 148 left off. It picks up where it left off with loyal lovers. So you have your Bibles open right there. Look back at verse 14, 148, verse 14. Notice it says, And he has lifted up a horn. That is a king who has been risen and stands for his people. Praise. That's who is praise-embodied For all his godly ones, his loyal lovers. Then you drop down to Psalm 149 and three times these same people are called out to praise. Look at verse 1. Praise him in the congregation of the godly ones. So these these loyal lovers of Yahweh have been gathered now into an assembly and a congregation. Then look at verse 5. Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. What's going on with that? We'll find out. And then it ends with, To execute on them judgment, this is an honor for all his his godly ones, or what I call loyal lovers. Now, why do I do that? It's repeated three times, beginning, middle, and end. The reason I call them loyal lovers is this is the Hebrew word chesed. Hesed. It's kind of hard to say to say the H there, the C H Hesed, Hesed, ha, <sighs> kind of got to clear your throat. Hesed. And it's the word for covenant loyalty. It's the word for covenant faithfulness. It's the word that binds Yahweh to his people even when they sin. Can I get an amen for that? It's His loyal love. And guess what? When you enter into covenant with Him, He transforms your heart by His grace to be a covenant lover of Him. So His loyal love transforms us to be loyal lovers of Him. And that's what a true believer is. That's what true believers do. They, true believers, have received the loyal love, the grace of Yahweh, and they enter into covenant by His grace through faith with a faith that works, like James, a faith that obeys and expresses itself in loyal covenant faithfulness to Him. So this whole passage is about God's loyal lovers. And then here's the last thing I want you to see. Uh, oh, well, here It picks up. And so, you know, I'm not going to take you through that. Some of you are into that. I will let you see that. But I want you to see the commands are only in verse 1. But the center of praise, his loyal lovers, the center of praise, the center of praise. We're moving in to a focus on who it is that we are to praise. And it's his loyal lovers that are being gathered up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Last thing I want you to see is this. Psalm 149 is the end time celebration. The theological word for that is eschatological. It almost sounds scary or I don't know. Eschatological. It simply means end times. Celebration by the beautiful bride because the final conquest by her bloody bridegroom has been won here 's what I want you to see psalm one forty eight took us to the highest heavens down to the depths of the earth now one psalm one forty nine is transporting uh, transporting us to the end times to the final culmination of history when the bridegroom comes to gather his bride and to be you be one with her on the earth and in doing so, conquering all of his enemies. That's where it's going. Kill the dragon, get the girl, and live happily ever after. Now, here's what I want you to see. The outline that I'm going to give you, Psalm 149 is like a bride planning for her wedding day. And when a bride plans for her wedding day, there is preparation of the bridal gown, There's anticipation of the bridal suite. Us guys are really into that. And then there is the cooperation of the bride and the bridegroom. So that's how we're going to look at this. That's what this psalm does. It moves from preparation of the bridal gown to anticipation of the bridal bed to the cooperation with the bride and the bridegroom to accomplish their purposes together as one. So here comes the beautiful bride and her bloody bridegroom. You're like, what in the world? Hey, I'm just teaching you the Bible. That's what the image is. Let's look at, first of all, the bride's preparation with exaltation. There is a preparation with exaltation. Now, let's see what that means. First of all, look at verse one. It begins, hallelujah. Reminding us again, all of life from beginning to end is about praising or psalming God's name. But then notice verses 1 through 3. Sing to the Lord a new song and praise in the congregation of the loyal lovers. Let Israel be glad in his maker, his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in the king. And three, let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. There's such joy. It, it, they're kicking it up a notch in their praise. So let's see. First of all, the bride enjoys singing a new song to her maker, her king, and I could even add the name of the Lord. Okay? The bride enjoys singing. A new song. So a couple things I want you to see. Why is it a new song? She sings a new song because final salvation has fully come. She sings a new song because final salvation has fully come. Now, why do I say that? Why do you sing a new song? You sing a new song because something new has happened. And that which new has happened is the new creation has come. And because the new creation has come, we're to sing a new song. The new creation calls for a new song with greater rejoicing, with more dancing, and with loud shouting. It's a new song because God has fulfilled his purposes to make A new heavens and a new earth. And we are his new people who will enter into that blessedness for all of eternity. Secondly, she sings to joyfully exalt those who saved her rather than herself. She joyfully exalts. So if you notice, all this praise is on three things. Her maker her king, and his name. So let's talk a little bit about that. The bride joyfully exalts her maker. Why? Because he created her as a new creation by his sovereign grace, by his effectual word. Just like in the creation in Genesis, he spoke the word and the world came into creation So, in the gospel, God speaks his word, and what is created is a new people who place their faith in him. And all through this study, we've seen this underlying theme of the effectual, powerful word of God. It created the universe, but here we're seeing that his word created his people. This same word for maker, it's used in Genesis one of God who made heaven and earth. It's also used though of Yahweh making Israel a holy and chosen nation. Turn your Bible to Psalm one hundred. I want you to turn to Psalm one hundred and check this out. Psalm one hundred, and let's look at the first three verses. This is some of you. Some of you said this is your favorite psalm. It's one of my favorites, Psalm one hundred. Notice how it begins, verse one. Shout joyfully to the Lord, who? All the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. And look at verse 3. Know that the Lord Himself is God and not you. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. The Maker spoke the good news to Abraham when he was still a pagan moon worshiper and transformed him into the father of faith. Yahweh spoke his word of redemption to Israel when they were still in bondage as slaves and created them, the the people of Jacob, the people of Israel. You see, Yahweh is her maker because he first loved her. He first chose her. He first wooed her. He first proposed to her when she was dirty, filthy, and naked and enslaved in her sins. And that's what he did with you and me. Every one of us was unworthy, ungodly, naked, filthy, unclothed unrighteous and God came and he wooed us and he called us and he chose us and he spoke the gospel through his messengers and his gospel effectively created in us a faith that would trust him believe in him and transform our hearts Turn to Isaiah 54. I want you to see this in Scripture. This is tying all these passages together. So look at Isaiah 54. Turn to Isaiah 54, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 8. Isaiah 54, 4 through 8. I want you to see this. Because it brings together all these ideas of Psalm 149. So we're in Isaiah 54, and we're looking at verses 4 through 8. And notice what it says. Fear not, the Lord is speaking to Israel. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame. And do not feel humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth. He's talking to them. Remember my loyal lovers? When you were disloyal to me? Remember when you rebelled and you went into exile? You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Why? Verse 5. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you, like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In an outburst of anger I hid my face from you, but for a moment, but with everlasting kindness. There it is, Hesed. Loving kindness, loyal love, with everlasting loyal love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Is that not beautiful, class? Is that not beautiful of our God? So the bride jo- joyfully exalts her maker. She joyfully exalts her king, which I've already said in one in Psalm 148. He was raised up to stand, and now he's seated in the heathlings heavenlies. But now in Psalm 149, he's going to return to conquer her enemies and to gather his bride. Third, the bride joyfully exalts the name of the Lord. And think about this. His name speaks his reputation. She joyfully sings the fame of his name. His name points to his character. She sings of his attributes and actions. His name includes His presence. She sings of His presence here on earth so that they are no longer separated from heaven and earth. It's a song of God's name dwelling with God's people in God's place through God's person, the risen Son. Now, folks, this is what every bride prepares for. Every bride prepares for the day When her fiancé, her and her fiancé, will dwell together as one. Listen, if you're single or single again here this morning, I want you to take heart in this. Because while this imagery is of marriage and you may, that doesn't apply. No, no, no. Do not despair if you are alone. Do not despair for you have a maker and you have a king and you have a God who is present to defend you and delights in intimacy with you. That deserves an amen, right? Yeah, yeah. The bride not only enjoys singing a new song to her maker and king, she sings a new song because Yahweh beautifies His bride with His salvation. Yahweh beautifies His bride with final salvation. And the word picture here is of a bride making making a bridal gown for the wedding day. That's the picture. So let's look at this. What's going on here? Look at verse 4. For the Lord takes pleasure, or delights, in His people, and He delights to beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. So notice, the cause of the praise is because the Lord delights to beautify His bride with salvation. He takes pleasure in doing it. Do you remember Psalm 147? God doesn't delight in the strength of men and horses, but He delights in showing, supporting, and raising up His afflicted ones. There's a parallel here. And He does it for the afflicted. Those who are broken by their sin. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're like, I am broken, I am spent, I have nothing to offer. Well, hallelujah. The Lord delights to beautify you with his salvation. Now, what does beautify mean? Well, it means to glorify, but in the sense it's used in the Bible of adorning the temple to make it look beautiful, and it's used in the Bible of adorning a bride, preparing her for her wedding day. It's literally used that way in Isaiah 61:10. And so here's the picture: making a bridal gown for your wedding day. So turn to Psalm or turn to Revelation 19. I'm used to saying uh, Psalm. Turn to Revelation 19, 7 and 8. This psalm is pointing us forward to this day revelation 19 verses 7 and 8 and i want you to see what it says revelation 19 7 through 8 let us rejoice and be glad ding 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 psalm 149 psalm 149 psalm 149 give glory to him For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. How? It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So what is the idea here? There's coming a day when the Lord (coughs) is going to come, and He's going to come with His bride. And his bride is going to prepare, and you're going to receive final salvation, final glory, final consummation with our Lord. Yahweh will beautify his bride with the gift of his righteousness. But those who receive this gift prepare themselves by living righteously until he comes. So you see the beauty? So if you look at Revelation 19, the Lord gives the bride her dress... And yet, the bride prepares herself by living righteously. So, Randy, you've been declared righteous. Now, prepare yourself. Live righteously. That's the idea. That's the idea. And the word picture here is of a bride. So, many of you may know this, but or may not know this, but my wife made her own wedding dress. So, here she is. These are some glorious pictures. So, it was quite a project. I mean, we're talking about sewing every bead on this dress, making her dress, and and uh, and, and look, look how much she anticipates, right? Who? This handsome guy. Look at that dude. Man, man, a red-headed, curly-headed, handsome guy. She made that. Now, here's the beautiful story. First of all, did that dress, was that made overnight? No. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of diligence. It took... Time, discipline. Uh, I'm sure were there mistakes made along the way that had to be corrected? This is is a story of our lives. Amen? And then someone said to her, you're making your own dress. Man, that's a lot of work. And then my beautiful bride said, no, it's not a lot of work. I'm doing it for my future husband. (laughs) She really said that. You said that, Gwen. I, I know, because I, I preached a message in seminary when we were dating from Revelation 19. So I know you said it. You, you you might deny it now, but you did say that. You did say that. So the bride prepares for her big day. Now, let's move on. He, the bride not only prepares, but like the bridegroom, she anticipates the bridal night. The bride's anticipation is... With exaltation. Please don't put an A there where there's a U. It's exaltation. Okay? Look at verses five through six. Let the godly ones, and in New American Standards, it says exalt with a U. Previously, we were exalting. Now we are exalting. Dana is kind of like Elijah and Elisha. Okay? You gotta get the difference here, okay? The bride exults in anticipation of their triumphal union. Listen, we've kicked it up a notch. We've gone from the bridal gown to when the bridal gown comes off in the bridal suite. And there's consum. I just won't go any farther. But that's what we're talking about here. Why do I say that? Well, look at verses 5 and 6. Let the godly ones, let them sing for joy on their what? Their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. I'm not going to tell you what happened on our bridal night, but nobody had a sword, okay? That, that wasn't happening. But that's what's happening here. So the bride exults in anticipation. Here's the idea. We're not only going to get final salvation, but final judgment is going to come final conquest of all of God's enemies is going to happen. The word exalt means to exalt over someone or to boast over something. The idea is we are anticipating one day our king is going to come and he's going to conquer and we're going to exalt over him and we're going to boast in him for he has brought low the devil, death, sin, selfishness, every uh, godless nation. And therefore, we should celebrate. And you know how we should celebrate? We should celebrate like they did on VE Day. Anybody know what VE Day was? Victory in Europe Day. World War II has come to an end. And on May 8th, 1945, the Allied people... The, the the forces and the nations and the allied people exulted in the streets they sang they danced there wasn't work there was it was it was glory and you kissed people that you didn't even know and and it, you exulted and they drank and they danced and it was global and it started the day before because new came out, and guess what we are supposed to be we are supposed to be praising right now like the the victory has already come are are you with me they They started celebrating on May seventh, but you know what that day was also a day of mixed emotions because some of those people celebrating had lost loved ones right and Yet, you know what we're going to find in in Revelation? That every tear is going to be wiped away. This won't be mixed emotions. This will be pure praise. Because any regret, any lament over those that are in hell will be wiped away and we will be rejoicing with Him. Now, the bride, what does she do? She not only anticipates, she meditates on her bed with a song and a sword. Now, this verse is wild. I had never studied this. I had never heard anybody teach on this. Where is the bride exulting in victory? On her bed. Okay? And how is she exalting? With a song of high praise and a sword. So you got a picture. Here, here's Gwen lying in her bed with her dress she's made. And she's singing high praises, not to me, but to the Lord, with a song in her mouth and a... Two-edged sword in her hand. What is going on with that, right? Now, here's the idea. She is on her bed that can picture not only marital intimacy, union with her bridegroom, but also peaceful rest because the, the fighting is over. She is meditating that the war has been won. I can sleep and be at rest, but I'm not sleeping. I'm singing high praises to the one that has brought me victory. And what do I keep in my hand until that victory comes? I grip the two-edged sword of God's word. I am living righteously. I'm preparing my gown. I am confident in my king who will conquer over all. I sing his praises and I grip the two-edged sword for I am ready to fight until the end. Is that not beautiful? If that doesn't get you going, then your giddy up is broken. Now, what happens here? She's at peace, resting on her bed, anticipating being with her bridegroom, on their marriage bed. She longs for that future intimacy of one on this earth. She's exulting in song and high praise, extolling as she anticipate His coming victory to defend her, deliver her from her enemies and His. She's praising future victory. And then she is holding tightly a two-edged sword. She anticipates being victorious by that efficacious, effectual, spoken, predicted, prophetic word of God. Turn to Revelation 19 again. You say, Chris, I, I don't know if you're making this up. Well, look at Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Listen, Psalm 149. You read Psalm 149, you make a beeline to Revelation 19. Because this is an eschatological song. Look at Revelation 19. Let's look at verses 11 through 16. See if you see these themes. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. Remember Psalm 146? He keeps faithfulness and in righteousness he judges and wages war his eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems many crowns and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself god must reveal himself to us he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood there's the bloody bridegroom and his name is called what the word of god And the armies, which are in heaven, I believe those are angelic and us, his church. Clothed in fine linen, there's the bridal gown, white and clean. We're following him on white horses, man, that's going to be awesome, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them, and a rod of iron he will crush them, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God. His blood is his atoning work to save his bride. His blood is his wrath upon the unbelieving the wrath of God Almighty, and on His robe and on His thigh, He has a name written, say it with me, King of kings and Lord of lords and all His people, let them, hallelujah. Are you... My goodness, my goodness. Are you sure, Chris, this is how it is? Well, let's look at the third point the bride's cooperation in execution with her bloody bridegroom. You say, Chris, that's a pretty strong word. Yeah, it's it's right out of verses it's right out of verses 7 through 9. 7 through 9 begin with the word execute. Look at verses 7 through 9. To execute vengeance on the nations, punishment on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. In other words, the judgment prophesied, predicted in the word of God. This is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. So very quickly, let me give you what's going on here. First of all, the bride cooperates with her bridegroom In executing divine judgment. She anticipates it on her bed with high praises. With the sword in her hand. But one day it's going to happen. And you're like, what are we talking about here? Let's go to the next slide and notice three things. The bride cooperates in executing the judgment. The judgment is Christ. It's God's. It's the Father's. But we come with the horses. We come with him. And the Bible also says, by the way, that we will judge angels. So the Lord is the judge, but his loyal lovers join in him because we are united in him. And the bride helps the bridegroom. That's the role. The judgment is carried out according to God's prophetic word. And the judgment is done while singing high praises to her God. Now, here's here's what I want to say. So, if, if, if you've fallen asleep, if you slept the whole time, wake up. If you are falling asleep, nudge your neighbor and pay attention. This is radical. We are praising the judgment and eternal damnation of the lost. Now, we're praising the judge for doing it, but you can't separate all that. Now, one reason why we do this is because our God is simple. He is one. You can't separate God's love from his justice. When you praise God, you praise all his attributes, which includes judgment as well as love. So we we praise one God. But I want you to notice the objection. So bring this up. Here's the objection, and I teach this in Perspectives. Every time I teach that lesson on Missions, The objection is, heaven can't be heaven as long as there's a hell. How can I rejoice in heaven while there's a hell of eternal damnation? Therefore, there can't be in a hell, all must be saved. And yet, Psalm 149 says, We are rejoicing over executing eternal condemnation. Well, here's the answer. The answer is this. Revelation 6, 9-11 through 11 reminds us what people in heaven are unhappy about. Or you could use the word lament. People in heaven will not be lamenting those in hell. We will be lamenting that God's justice has not yet been poured out. And why do I know that? Because in Revelation 6, 9-11, through 11, it says this, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal... I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of their to- testimony which they had maintained. They had been loyal lovers. They had been loyal lovers with the sword firmly gripped even unto death. And they cried out with a loud voice, I can't be happy as long as there's a hell. No. No! What are they crying out? How long, O Lord? They're lamenting. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They are not. Listen, they are not. Take it up. Next slide. Oh, I don't have it. Sorry. Just leave it there. Here's the point. They are not lamenting that there's a hell. They're lamenting that a holy God has not yet unleashed His holy judgment upon the earth because that's consistent with who He is and that's consistent with God's people. Now, before you freak out, especially you mercy showers, before you freak out, Now is the time to lament over the lost. Now is the time to weep over the unsaved. Now is the time to come to world outreach and get involved in reaching the lost because now is the time to reach them. But when the final judgment comes, there's no more weeping over the lost. There's no more witnessing to the lost. That day has gone and now we rejoice in a just and holy Conclusion to all of history. Mind blown. Now, if that freaks you out, and it ought to, because this is divine revelation, not human reasoning. And before you reject what you're hearing, you get into this Word of God, and you dive into this. Okay? And you, you see if this isn't what's going on. I'm telling you, Revelation 6 will recap it's a paradigm shift all right we must move on so now you can move Audrey. unless you think i'm still crazy the bride is honored to cooperate in this judgment it says it right there you know what i looked up this word honored what's it mean in the hebrew how's it used in the bible it's used for adorning it's used for adornment. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen, beloved, if we separate judgment from salvation, there is no salvation. For the one act of the cross is God's wrath and God's salvation. And in the second coming, God's salvation and God's wrath, it is one salvation through judgment. In the person of Christ. Now, I can't take you to all the verses and we need to wrap this up. But almost everything I've talked to you today, I could take you to verses that says all these things of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has taken our wrath. He is adorned by his Father with righteousness. And he shares that righteousness with us as a free gift. Amen. We respond in faith. And our heart becomes his heart. So, beloved, lament over the loss now and let's witness, let's pray, let's give, let's go, let's send, let's go upstairs and learn from Jonah. Amen? But there's coming a day when we will lament that God's judgment hasn't fallen and we will be a beautiful bride and we will celebrate. Our bloody bridegroom and his conquest over sin, Satan, and self. And all God's people say what? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In this, in this series, the key, all God's people say, hallelujah. Is that just awesome stuff or what? Are you ready? Do you need some tips from Gwen how to make a bridal count? No. You need to learn how to live righteously like a loyal lover. Are you anticipating final victory? Then listen, work, walk, worship, and witness like a loyal lover who is a beautiful bride awaiting her bloody bridegroom. Let's pray. Father, this is heavy stuff. It, It just blew me away. Stuff that I've seen, but I would never have thought to find it in Psalm 149. But it's there. It's there. And we are to celebrate it. Lord, may we be broken over our apathy, our indifference, our lack of witnessing. But Lord, let us anticipate on our beds. We have been reconciled. We have peace. We have a bridegroom. We have a king and a maker. And his name is Jesus Christ. We cling to your word until that day when your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people say, What? Hallelujah. All right.